Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is your weekly result, the rhetorical assault. I'm still, I'm, I'm still working three hours a night, but it's a rhetorical assault on the news cycle of the people that make it and occasionally ourselves. I am Camille Foster. I, I used to do regular things and now I just have a small human who, who urinates on me routinely. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll even defecate on I me. I heard you weird. had a kid too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I, I do do things at Freethink. I still have a role there, and I'm delighted to be here, be a part of this the, the wonderful fifth column, the glorious fifth column, the the revered fifth column, and and joined, of course, by my compatriots Matt Welch, editor at Large Reason Magazine, and Michael Moynihan of Vice News. Um, we are we are all here assembled. I think this is our first uh, official fifth recording since you've been back stateside, Mona. And we did do that Patreon um, with uh, with Nancy. No, that was a, that was a regular one that we did. I was did that one, regular? Oh, that was I did that one in Poland. Yeah, yeah so. you were you were still yeah, you were yeah, still yeah, overseas. Yeah, yeah. You were still overseas. Um, yeah, this this week you've, you've traded places with Joe Biden, who is uh, today, uh, I believe, and we're recording this on Wednesday. You're listening yeah. to this on on Thursday, or maybe a little later, but whatever. Um, today he He's, just touched down in Europe, and he'll be there for several days, meeting with allies, trying to figure out the Ukraine situation. Um, but there's a bunch of domestic stuff going on as well that we should probably talk about. Inflation going crazy, you know, because because mm-hmm. of something. Is it the money mm-hmm. supply? Is it Russia? We don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, Judge KBJ, <laughs> KBJ's confirmation oh, hearing another entered what, the third day yeah. uh, today. And I mean, she's going to get confirmed, but uh-huh. maybe there's yeah. some things to talk about there. I don't know. Plenty of other stuff going on as well. Um, and, uh, but, but before we do that, gentlemen, are, are you guys doing okay? I mean, it's been hard, hard for me uh-huh. and challenging, but also richly rewarding. But are you guys okay? That's what I want to know. It's uh, spring, yeah. man. Everything's mm. great. Spring is sprung. Flowers, you know, it's it's fine. (laughs) Somehow this is totally unconvincing, but yeah. It's fine. (laughs) I was was supposed to, yeah, I was supposed to be on a flight um, uh, today that was actually four flights. Uh Uh-huh. And and I think it was 26 hours. Wait, three connections? Yeah. Oof. Yeah. So that would have been, this, this, this got canceled, but it would have been, I think, to... Copenhagen, Copenhagen to Oslo, Oslo to Tromsø, and Tromsø to Narvik um, in Norway. Both Northern. the last two just don't exist. Yeah, they don't exist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then and, and, and Tromsø to Narnia, and then <laughs> and I would walk through that door. I was going to go do a NATO thing, and then but apparently there's some kind of war going on, and they were like, I don't know about. We don't know if we can give you like time with Jens Stoltenberg. Uh, the uh, Norwegian uh, head of NATO. We had some time booked and uh, then it got narrowed. And, you know, when people say like you have 10 minutes and then, you know, you have a couple minutes for a pull aside, it's like, mm. yeah, the 27 hour flight, I don't think it's going to justify four, four flights for that. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then it never happens. Let's just you know, jump on. It's some, always like, yeah. Yeah. Then you just turn around and he's like in a, in a, in a cab. He's in an Uber. <laughs> but they are going offering to Oslo. you the opportunity to take pictures through chain link fences of military installations. Yes, I did that instead. <laughs> instead, <laughs> driving in circles in a cab uh, and saying, "Look at all this stuff that's happening. Why aren't they talking to me?" Well, but, can, uh, maybe, maybe before by we, the U.S. Army, I'd have to say, yeah, because um, there's been some talk in some other precincts about this have been very accommodating and have like been. I've been trying to work with them, and they've been um, very, very 
good to work with um, in the sense of that they're trying to make the stuff happen. And it's just that a um, couple things have interceded. We've had some things that we've canceled. They have some, some things that they've canceled. And we're just trying to line up a very specific thing. And, uh, and yeah, you know, I mean, if you, if you interact with them and you build a rapport with them, they, they, they can give you access. But if you go trying to climb fences, you probably won't. So <laughs> it's just a tip. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about really, but that's a tip. Oh, sent. Well, maybe, maybe we should start in Ukraine. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm interested in perhaps probing, probing some of the, the recent goings on. I, I saw a headline today that made my eyes roll back in my head, um, suggesting mm-hmm. that something like 40,000 Russian soldiers had been killed, wounded, captured, or were had gone MIA in Ukraine, yeah. according to some sort of NATO estimate, when I when I yeah. looked into the story a bit more, it looks like there's maybe one official who is is giving them these numbers. Um, so I suspect that these numbers are not quite right. Uh, but in either the case, killed numbers are. I mean, it's a pretty broad, pretty consistent. It's between it's seven pretty and consistent 50, seven and fifteen thousand. Yeah, so that's a big difference. But even that but, is incredible. But seven, it, it's it, incredible. It, if it's, it's 7,000, that's incredible. It's truly incredible. If it's if half you go to that number, it's still kind of incredible. But, I, I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. And I, I've pointed out probably every time we've talked about this, that, you know, it was 2,200 or so mm-hmm. in the 20 year Afghan war for American soldiers. And if it is actually say, say that 15,000 is right. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is. I think it's very high. Um, we have no evidence of this. This is kind of, everybody is fighting a propaganda war. I, I'm very, I'm mystified by people who are angry when the Ukrainians give high casualty figures, I mean, the whole point of a government in in wartime is to do these sorts of things. And, um, you know, they're not going to be transparent about this stuff. Don't be surprised. I wish it wasn't that way, but it is. So they're going they, to inflate the numbers. The other people are going to downplay their numbers, et cetera. But they also didn't start the war. It's worth it. Yeah, well, that's, that yeah. tends to be a thing mm-hmm. is, that, is that you care about the casualties of the invader more than you do of the invaded. But um, and particularly when that that army is supposedly you know, Europe's best, most invincible, everyone's, you know, quaking in their boots because of the Russian army and is proven to be um, less than impressive, shall we say. But if that number is that high, that would, um, would be, would be more than the number of um, Soviet soldiers who died over the nine plus years of the Afghan war, the 1979 invasion, which Which was a debacle for that. It was a debacle and, and, and helped, you know, precipitate the downfall of the Soviet Union. I mean, that's pretty crazy that these numbers are so astonishingly high. I mean, the thing to watch in this stuff is like, you know, are they accurate? Are they, you know, we don't know. Mm -hmm. What we do know is that the military plan of the Russian army has failed spectacularly. And, you know, Kharkiv, uh, Kiev, all these cities have not been taken. And as a matter of fact, there's, we we have evidence of this is not just, you know, Zelensky propaganda that they have not only, you know, cut them off at certain places, but they've actually repelled them and pushed them back, you know, tens, dozens, 50 kilometers in certain points, which is really, really stunning. And the number of people we don't know, I mean, they are playing up the fact that a lot of people have, have walked away, a lot of uh, Russians have put down their arms and, you know, they've been offering, what is it, 50,000 euros in citizenship or something, if you give up, something like that, some, you know, yeah, I'm sure uh, pile a- of money. The difference um, between offer and uh, deliverable might be, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, there might be yeah. a gap there. Yeah, that, that might be like, one of those big checks that you get from Ed McMahon. <laughs> it's like, eh, can I cash this? Not really, my friend. Then we are going to put you in dungeon. But <laughs> which is, you know, I don't understand that at this point. But, uh, but yeah, it has been a, a debacle. And 
One of the most astonishing things I've seen are those people who um, I don't really understand the idea about. They, they sound like the the kind of progressives during the Cold War who would uh, plump for the Soviets and make excuses for them, but they come from both the right and the left. The most astonishing one I saw was the disgraced and despicable Laura Logan, who was on some television program I've never seen. It was like a right-wing kind of uh, TV station. And the uh, the host was uh, Ed Henry, the man from oh. Fox, who was accused of rape. So they fired him. And now he's talking to the woman who was accused of all sorts of other things and been fired from from Fox, too. So the two people fired from Fox were talking, and she was like, you know, it's a total lie. All of this stuff is a lie. Uh, Ukraine is just a Nazi state, and the Russians are doing great. Uh, it's propaganda that they're not. They're doing great on the battlefield. And I've heard this a couple of times. Um, Roger Stone said uh, a day or two ago that uh, this is the Russians are fighting a defensive war. It's Ooh. a lie that they're. That did they're did he really? He wow. did. It's a it, the quote um, interview uh, on tape um, that uh, it's a it's a great lie that the media is telling you. But they're not. Yeah, what the media is not telling you is that Russia is fighting a defensive war. Um, and it's how just do you, propaganda. How do you don't believe that. How, what's the argument? I don't. Uh, I think you would just presume that uh, Ukraine is destabilizing them on purpose. They're attacking ethnic Russians in the Donbass or whatever the hell. Um, uh, yeah, and by yeah. Uh, and by you know w wishing to join uh, alliances or have a security guarantee of the West, that's implicitly a threat to the you know, usual yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, much much of which we talked about already in, in different yeah. ways. I mean, I, I think what what I'm most kind of confu not confused by, but what I keep thinking about now is obviously Joe Biden just just got to Europe. He's going to be there for several days. Um, there's a lot of talk about um, NATO members um, deploying uh, or having major troop increases in response mm -hmm. to Russian aggression in order to check Putin. But there's a sense in which there's a bit of a disconnect, right? Like, there were these crippling sanctions that were instituted very early on. There was broadly this expectation that Russia would just steamroll Ukraine, and that is not happening. The The Russian state is in a bit of a free fall in many respects. Um, and there's a lot of uh, – and it's hard to know exactly what's happening, but a lot of reports about palace intrigue high-ranking officials disappearing. Um, yeah. It, if that's where things stand, um, at what point do you, do you stop kind of ratcheting things up if you're, if you're the United States and NATO? At what point do you perhaps not have to worry about increasing kind of troop strength in response to Russian aggression when the Russians are on the ropes in the way that they are? Um, is well, the, is there is there a chance that you perhaps overcorrect for things? Um, is there not some risk of escalating by behaving as though the threat is as severe as perhaps people thought it was, say February one, um, versus where we actually are today? Well, the I mean the 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 problem, um, both like in terms of the actual humanity of it and then the politics of it. Is that uh, Putin at this point and Russia at this point is just aiming tanks and uh, and stupid bombs and then some smart missiles too at residential areas? That's really mm -hmm. hard to accept. He's pulverizing cities into dust that have no otherwise 
you know, uh, an economic or strategic value. It's just they're in the way and he can encircle them. And similarly to when uh, Sarajevo was besieged and you just saw it on TV of people like going out trying to get bread and getting shot by snipers. It's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's impossible to bear. So yes, um, Russia in ways that I think people, uh, it's really scrambled strategic calculations uh, is shown that that army, not so good um, and not so scary. The, the scary thing is that they can kill individuals in a horrific way because they don't give a shit. Um, and they could try to do that to, to bend their will, um, uh, against countries that don't have a security guarantee. That is scary. And of course you have nukes and, and they're bad people. Um, also, you know, scary, but if you're old enough to live through the cold war, you can kind of steal your stomach for some of that. Um, but like that will be a political ra- reality that people, that Western leaders have to deal with. And so they're going to look at that, um, I think as, all right, yes, we've done unprecedented amounts of sanctions, um, but we're still paying for Russian gas and oil in most of, of Western Europe. Um, there's still like the big sanction hasn't happened. So I presume that a lot of the discussion uh, over the next few days is going to be about that specifically. I think there was news even that Germany, which is, you know, changed its entire foreign policy in two weeks, which is crazy, but it, including cutting off the, the Nord Stream uh, pipeline, but they're still buying Russian oil and gas. Like they're not mm-hmm. ready to really cut that off and to, have the consequences. I think most of the discussion uh, between those people are going to be about that issue, not about like, are we, um, are we choking them off too much? And they should think about that issue. I, I'm of the, uh, like, I'm increasingly like, let's not give, allow this person to, um, make money by selling a bunch of oil to people, or let's, let's as European, if I was a European country, let's pursue a different energy strategy. Let's say that's a, a, a politer way of saying it. Um, it's for the NATO component of it. I mean, NATO isn't threatening anybody. NATO is rightly, and Moynihan will know more about this, um, is, and it's the, you know, Poland has a reason to want <laughs> that border to be um, uh, a little bit more vigorously enforced right now. And I think that's all well. I, NATO is a defensive alliance and you have a reckless um, uh, aggressor right now. So they should put more troops on the border of NATO. Absolutely. And that's not at all a an escalatory thing from my point of view. It's the point of NATO. So it's a defensive alliance. They should do that. Um, but the question you're right is like how long do you plan to do this and uh is it is it just you're you're going you're squeezing the russian economy to a really uh a difficult uh, point and putin has just become a dictator and people are fleeing the country so it's yeah it's and weird. it's not just it's the fucking... oligarchs who feel it when you put the squeeze on russia it's i mean when, every, when, everybody when the, in russia feels it right when the central bank <laughs> um in russia ratchets up interest rates and they're sitting at 20% now. And I think that was like a 10% jump in, in like a matter of days after the sanctions, if not like the day of just to try to stop the economy from going into total free fall, making matters worse for those people on the ground. I don't know that you'll actually see any sort of rubber band um, effect at any point, but I also don't know that we're actually achieving a great deal by ratcheting up the pressure in that way. Like if you, if you cut off the purchasing of, of Russian oil exports, do you, do you what expedite the collapse of the Russian regime? Do you actually have a a likelihood of shutting off the assault in Ukraine much faster? Do you keep Poland more safe in that way? 
I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I mean, this is just a, a legitimate question on my part. I yeah, think. no, I mean, there's there's a, a number of things that um, you can't do in a situation like this, and there's very few that you can. And one of those things is sanctions, right? I mean, if we want to stay out of a military conflict, which everybody does, myself included, I don't want Americans fighting Russians. Um, it, it seems like building up defenses on on the border, as Matt said, is a, is a defensive measure. And, you know, Poland has already announced that they're going to increase the size of their army. Um, you know, mm-hmm. other countries trying to join NATO that weren't NATO countries, Um Trying to join the European Union. I mean, Georgia trying to join the European Union, right? There is a reaction. And when when America waged war in Iraq, a lot of things happened that were not expected by the Bush administration and the sort of neoconservatives that that had, you know, cheerleaded the war, right? And after that, there was everyone on earth saying, why didn't you see this coming? This is the chickens coming home to roost. This is what happens. This is the blowback, et cetera. You get ISIS. You get all this bad stuff. Um, that works in other countries, too, not just America. So in the, when Russia invades Ukraine, there's going to be mm-hmm. some significant blowback that maybe they didn't expect because they thought that hot knife through butter was just going to be, you know, the army just encircling, taking Kiev, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we, we all know what they expected and what they actually got. So the response to this is people turned on the Bush administration, turned on American foreign policy. That is the hope of what happens in Russia, too. Now, obviously, it's a very, very different uh, mechanism in Russia because it's not a democratic country. And it's become significantly less democratic in the past three weeks right? Alexei Navalny was just sentenced again. I mean, if you saw him in court, he looked like he, I mean, he's a tall, gaunt guy who is now going away to prison for what? I mean, he got another 16 years. I don't even know what the sentence was. It's just, it's basically indefinite mm-hmm. at this point. And that's because um, of a lot of things, you know, being the only viable opponent uh, of of Putin and somebody who's spoken out against the war in Ukraine. Um, obviously it was time to punish him, right? It was time to punish, you know, rain TV. It was uh, punish Navoya Gazetta, but punish, you know, any people that said anything. Look at Navoya Gazetta's website. It's actually an interesting thing is that, uh, Google translate does some languages better than others. It does Russian very well. Um, and so you get a very, very good sense when you, uh, look at, you know, kp.ru, the tabloid, um, and all of these, like, you know, and they're, they're wild to read, actually. It was just, it was a piece in, what is it, Komsomolskia Pravda, which was an old Soviet paper, and Izvestia had these pieces about how the Ukrainians were just waiting to be liberated. Like, literally the other day, there was a, um, a pro-Russian Ukrainian who used to be in Ukraine, uh, Ukraine's parliament saying, no, they, they love us. And it's just this weird alternate universe. But that is what happens when the dictatorship takes full control. So it's very, very hard for people to respond to this. That's why you see these articles that you were mentioning, Camille, of high-ranking people potentially turning. And this comes all from Western intelligence agencies. The Western intelligence agency, when they were making predictions, were right about what was going to happen. The American intelligence was right. Uh, you know, Zelensky was also- wrong. They also predicted the, predicted wrongly the uh, the duration of the whole thing. Yeah, they West, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and also when they're saying things about defections, into, I mean, this is probably black propaganda. You know, I mean, trying to get people to yeah. to. I mean, so we don't know if any of this stuff is true. You have to treat it mm-hmm. very very carefully. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's not surprising 
Because the difference in Venezuela, when you have crippling sanctions, they affected, you know, the bully bourgeoisie, as they called them, the Bolivarians that were stealing all the money from PDVSA, the state oil company. Russia, if you go to Moscow, it's like a pretty that it has a middle class and a, a lot of upper middle class people that are not just oligarchs that are not just tied to the regime. And they're all being squeezed. Right. I mean, it's a very, very different situation when, you know, out in the country, this is different. I'm just thinking of Moscow, St. Petersburg, et cetera, that there, you know, people in positions that matter could potentially turn on this. And there is some indication that that's actually happening. Is it going to? Well, sanctions don't have a great, great track record in actually, you know, producing these results, but it's kind of the only tool in the toolbox at this point, rather, you know, I mean, no, no fly zone, no other, you know, uh, NATO troops and none of this stuff. I mean, the conversation that's happening this week is, you know, if chemical weapons are launched, I mean, the American uh, intelligence people are saying this potential of chemical weapons attack, which, you know, every time I say something about, you know, the bananas military quote unquote strategy of the Russians, I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I hope um, I'm right about the fact that it seems totally ludicrous that of chemical weapons, which are very hard to control, um, that, that that would actually be deployed. The thing is the ratcheting up when you say ratcheting up, the ultimate ratchet is, is, is nuclear weapons. And mm-hmm. the Russians have, they're the ones that have actually stoked this. They have said, get them ready, um, mm-hmm. you know, which is, which is publicly said by, by Putin. Dmitry Peskov, um, was on, I think, Christian Amanpour's show mm-hmm. when he said, you know, no, I'm not going to say we're not going to use them. Um, and she Although he, him, he also used boilerplate, like yes. defensive strategy language. Yes. That, right. Of course. That it, it's similar to our own. Of course. I but think. you're, you're in no position to be believed after you just invaded a sovereign country in Europe and have been rocketing, you know, apartment buildings and, mm-hmm. you know, tens of thousands of people are dead because of what? Because of some historical grudge? Because of NATO? I, none of it makes any sense. So I think the madman theory is probably a good one just as a default. That you think that maybe the nuke mm-hmm. thing is, I'm not, I, I'm not, I don't think that this is totally off the table, like a tactical nuke kind of thing. So what do you I do? I've seen some, some, some reporting that suggested that, that Putin's remarks about the nukes was just kind of this like pro forma, like we're ratcheting up to this higher level, but this is not like a, a, an indication of an imminent nuclear strike of any sort it's no it certainly it absolutely isn't but i mean you you don't tell people that if it's imminent but but it is as you talked about they're also bombing like nuclear facilities inside of ukraine yes yes and he also said the same thing he has said things like if anyone tries to you know get in in any way like uh, right you know presumably like if if Poland tries to protect a humanitarian corridor with peacekeeping forces whatever it is or gets mad at belarus um you will see um, consequences the like of likes of which you know people haven't contemplated in fifty years. It's not yeah. an exact quote, but it's like like he's making. I'm making crazy noises over here, and that it's, it's uh, reasonable wolf, to imply wolf warrior diplomacy. There, he doesn't have uh much uh to scare people with otherwise, really. Yeah. So like it's it is it is uh, reasonable to presume that. I, I, I had a conversation. I haven't turned this into editorial content yet, so I'll do it here um, with Scott Lincecum, um, you know, Cato trade dude. Mm-hmm. Um, about um various things, and you'd think, and he's a huge free trader, as you could expect from Cato. Um, and you might suspect him to be sounding the alarm about all these sanctions and um, you know the the worrisome um move towards kind of excluding countries out of the benefits of trade, and that kind of corners them. And he made the point 
and uh, and you know, I hope that I'm depicting his remarks correctly. But that this is actually the way that the trading system was set up. There is a national security ex- exception. Sadly, um, Donald Trump and now Joe Biden have used it stupidly against our allies yes. just randomly. Like we're going to do Canada, national ex- security for, for like lumber or aluminum from yeah, Canada. Yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> it's awful. It's wrong. That's not what these things were meant for. They were meant for what's happening right now that Russia is doing. You are violating people's national security. You're, you are a threat to people. You don't get to use the fruits of this system that we have created. We allowed you into the system. Um, and we think that it's people who trade together are going to be happier and less likely to attack each other. But you broke that trust. You don't get access. This is the price of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was oddly uh, kind of odd coming from him hearing that. But it's a it's a way in which the system was designed to be a, a response in these cases, particularly when, as we have seen in this case, um, the U.S. president and other people besides have said, not going to go in there, not going to do no fly zone. Stop talking about it. Um, so there it's, it's been the age old question with sanctions, which I'm generally against in most cases, because if they're ineffective and they hurt, um, uh, domestic populations and they don't usually work in any measurably effective way, except arguably in South Africa uh, with our apartheid. Um, but also the problem with sanctions is that what happens when you've forsworn, uh, and rightly so the military option, what do you have that is a punishment um, to people who deserve punishments and who deserve deterrence that you are not going to be willing to do militarily. Um, and, and I think that's in the toolbox. And in the rare case, when people really create, you know, really violate an important international taboo and annexing a country or, or, you know, overthrowing the sovereignty of a country is an important international taboo. It should be. It, there's a reason why, we, like, it just has affected people in a certain way. And it's not because we all have the same race as Ukrainians. Like, it just, it feels naturally super wrong to a lot of people. And, so uh, yeah, it's and, and also the on the sanctions thing, I mean, there is an argument, and I understand it, that, that you know, they're counterproductive in a sense that it hurts the ordinary person and the ordinary person then blames the people that put the sanctions on them rather than the government. That's a totally reasonable argument. It's something slightly different about it in in this case is that when you couple that with the military debacle and you have thousands and thousands of young boys coming home in coffins and then you, and your economy is falling apart and you've gained nothing from this at all um, that is a, that it's a bit sharper when that happens. But one other thing is to kind of, uh, put a, you know, put a cap on this. I would say that, you know, we talk about history so much when we talk about American foreign policy, we're obsessed with it. Right. And in some ways, rightfully so, but in some ways, you know, it's, it's abused in, in these kind of dishonest ways when you read like a Oliver Stone book or watch his, his series on the cold war, which is, you know, an abomination, but we talk about this pretty regularly when we talk about what America does. You know, we have to understand when people are saying we're going to put, you know, 10,000 more troops on our border with Russia if you're Latvia or if you're Estonia. The history that people forget about this. I'll give you a couple of points on this. The prime minister of Latvia was born in Delaware. The former prime minister of Estonia, Thomas Ilves, was raised in New Jersey, right? Estonia, Latvia, both share borders with Russia. Um, the current prime minister of Estonia, his parents, I believe, 
where grandparents were deported to a gulag, right? The history of all this stuff is very real to people. So when all of a sudden Russia invades a sovereign state on its borders, you know, when you're, when you're Latvia, I mean, this is a stone's throw and, you know, Belarus right there too, which is essentially uh, a client state of the Kremlin. There's, they don't believe this to be ratcheting anything up. They believe this to be a righteous response to what has been the tragedy of their recent history that has been dictated by the Kremlin. I mean, it is an amazing thing to see the former uh, uh, prime minister of Estonia speaking in the pretty much the same accent as me because his family was forced out by an occupying power of the Soviet Union. And he grew up in New Jersey. And he's a big Velvet Underground fan too, by the way. And the same thing is that nobody even knows this guy from Latvia who grew up in Delaware. He went to Penn. I mean, he spent his whole life. And then, you know, the Russians were booted out unceremoniously, thank God, in, in 1989, 1991. This all, this all disappears. He comes back and he has a career in politics and now he's the prime minister. I mean, these are people that have a very, very real and recent history. They grew up not in their home countries because of Russia. And when a, a revanchist Russia, you know, shows its fangs again, you know, what, 30 years later, 25 years later, you react because this is a very real thing. It's not like going back to history and like, you know, I have... It's in my DNA because of something that happened in the 18th century. Yeah, it's not 1388 no, in, in this Kosovo. Is, it's, no. it's like, this is, this is grandpa. my parents. This is my uncle. You know, my I, parents. Yeah. I was with um, a Polish guy who was illegally uh, fighting in, in um, well, they actually changed the law. Uh, President Duda changed the law where it was, it was illegal for Poles to go and, and fight in, in Ukraine. And he showed me a picture of his grandfather, and his grandfather was in Auschwitz. He's just, he's a picture of his grandfather and he was like his tattoo and all this stuff and um, was in Auschwitz. And then I think was arrested by the Soviets when they quote unquote liberated him from Auschwitz because they didn't liberate him from Auschwitz. They put him in a different place. And he was explaining to me, it's like, this is so real to my family that everything is based on neighbors invading us. And I don't want that to happen anymore. And I'm going to stop this invasion and help stop this invasion to, to the east of me. And that's a, it's a very real thing for these people. So, I mean, them, I think the, the language, and I, I understand this most certainly in the context of Biden in the U.S., but the, the language of, you know, levels of ratcheting things up is just, it just doesn't even compute to them. I mean, I think one, of, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to ask one more question. Just I'm thinking about sort of the domestic policy situation yeah. here in the U.S. and perceptions of the conflict itself and the very strong and pro-Ukrainian sentiment um, that I, yeah. I see in my web browser anytime I go to like use Slack and notice that the, yeah, the logo is now blue and yellow or, or visit a, a pornography site and discover yes. that the, the logo is similarly blue and yellow. A lot of great um, Ukrainian and, and performers, Camille. <laughs> this is this is also a thing. Um, you, you you'll see a, a flag icon. Like, please watch this this pornography. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a real thing, by the way. Um, so uh, I, I wonder if that is something to to pay any any heed to the fact that there is perhaps some sort of political benefit for Western powers, Western leaders who are essentially piling on here or willing to push things further. Um, and quite frankly, willing to, in many respects, like, leverage the conflict for their own kind of advantage. Um, and 
you see it in some sort of nakedly partisan like ways that are perhaps trivial and don't have much consequence for the conflict, like Joe Biden suggesting that the gas prices are going up because of Russia. Um, yeah, or sure, that yeah. that's, that's the real problem here that it's not, you know, the inflation, let's not, we don't need to talk about that. I mean, look, look what Russia is doing where we're just suffering a little bit of pain now for, for doing the right thing, um, with respect to Ukraine. And we, we all know that this is kind of ridiculous and we're playing politics, but I, I do again, have the same kind of concern about, you know, the Europeans, they have similar challenges to the United States with respect to money supplies that have exploded over the course of the last two years as a result of the pandemic response and uh, a potential situation with respect to both inflation and the shortages that if you are taking further actions, you could worsen your own position, but perhaps you make those not great choices in the sense that they're not necessarily leveraged because it's politically advantageous at the moment, whether or not it's a kind of well-informed choice. Is that something that's worth being concerned about beyond just being annoyed at at people taking advantage of the situation? I think that one of the things to add to that is, is that, that, you know, I see this argument quite a lot in the past couple of days is that the United States and European countries, particularly the United States though, are allowing or interested in more bloodletting in Ukraine to, you know, uh, hurt their adversary in, in the Kremlin. Mm. That <laughs> I've heard that. I, now, granted, yeah. I, I was not suggesting anything of the sort. No, no, but, I know, but that, yes. that's a common <laughs> like, like that the, the U.S. is, is yes. using this for political purposes in a, in a foreign policy way, too. Right. They want to they want to draw out the conflict. Yeah. 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 Which I think is complete horseshit. And, and I don't think there's really any evidence to this beyond the fact that the the um, negotiations that have been happening uh, between uh, uh, Ukraine and, and and Russia have made some progress in the sense that Zelensky has actually you know pulled back on the NATO thing, for instance. That's a huge thing, right? Mm-hmm. The Russians have pulled back which, on nothing. Which, if that was the only thing that mattered to Putin, I mean, it seems like you would you kind of take that deal. Exactly right. That's a, that's exactly right. And that's <laughs> not, not doing that. That's not what's happening. And yeah. but but one of the things that's in- interesting about that is that is that what the Russians are asking for is exactly what they were asking for from day one, and that is not anything that the Ukrainians can ever agree to. They don't. Like, you know, Mariupol, which is a site of an enormous bloodletting right now and very depressing to see the images from it. It is a key strategic place, but they're not surrendering. And I've seen people say, like, can you believe that? Of course, I believe they're not surrendering. That, by the way, interestingly enough, not often pointed out, is I I believe the most Russian-speaking city in all of Ukraine. I think it's 80% or 85%. And there was an expectation from Putin that this would be this would mm-hmm. they would be met with flowers and 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 roses yeah. and, Gre- and greeted as liberators. Yeah, and that that didn't happen, right? But the the fact that Russia has not bent, as far as we know publicly, this could not be this could be something that we don't know about yet. But in any of these demands that Crimea and Donbass, Luhansk will be separate republics, Crimea will be part of Russia. And that they will become a neutral state. They will not join NATO. That's everything that they asked for from the beginning. And they're saying, if you don't, if you don't agree to that, and then we have these conversations about America and Europe wanting to continue the bloodletting. The bloodletting is continuing because of the truculent people on the Russian side 
who are demanding exactly what they demanded before they lost 7,000, 8,000, 9,000, 10,000 men. They don't realize that when you're getting your face smashed into the pavement, you have to maybe say uncle and maybe negotiate and not say I'm winning because they're not winning, right? But on the domestic front, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have no expectation that anybody would ever, you know, on either side of the aisle not make some political hay of this. I mean, I think a lot of the flags that you see on things and the weirdest weirdest possible things like icons on my iPhone for apps that are like Ukrainian flag colors. It just like makes you roll your eyes. They do kind of mask that in saying we're raising money for refugees, which is, I mean, the U S and this could actually do something by accepting refugees, which would be, which would be a thing that we, we haven't done and we should do. And hopefully that will be something that, that comes out of these meetings in Brussels and Warsaw. But, uh, but yeah, no, making political hay of this is, is, is not surprising. I mean, it's, it's happened on the people who, you know, are effectively, you know, taking the Kremlin line for, for, which is essentially true. I'm not accusing them of being stooges of, they just happen to line up that way. And that's, that's the way it is, are making political hay out of it in the same way. They're like, you know, talking about gender, you know, I mean, this is, by the way, this was mentioned in a Putin, I think a Putin speech or a, or a, or a, a Lavrov speech when they were like, you know, we don't want your uh, gender ideology, which is an absolute, you know, a little sprinkling of something. So these dopes, We'll say, yeah, that's why we like you, and that's why we like Viktor Orban. We don't care Putin, what you do, I and mean, they know what they're Putin doing. Putin gave a gave a big speech against cancel culture. Used the phrase uh, last October, uh, yeah. and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, he's gonna get him. Yeah, he just canceled. He just canceled Alexei Navalny. By the way, that's he doesn't. Yeah. He, he's okay with cancel culture. So uh, no, there's a I collected a bit, and I won't read from them because it's not even sporting at this point. But um, some of the just prior to war expressions of uh uh from people um kind of pinning the most important or the most important thing for americans to think about is that um you know we won't we we're not going to go to war um just because we're trying to save gender queers in like kharkiv yeah like just this bananas obsession that certain uh, little corners and they're small corners the people who don't have political power but they're trying to write themselves into into believing whatever um it's very embarrassing like there's a february 21st to the 23rd was just not a real good time for certain categories of commentators and uh i mean that's the right-wing version the left-wing version of that is um as i think i told you in a a text camille i i I would or maybe somebody else i counted nicole hannah jones's tweets um in the first like three four days of the war and she tweeted a lot about it. And literally, I think there were two out of like dozens that didn't have to do with race. Um, either people trying to leave the country and, and, and reporting that they had had um, kind of rude people at uh, checkpoints. And, you know, the, you know having go- gone through that uh, process and the Polish-Ukrainian border, it's really chaotic, <laughs> really chaotic. <laughs> so I, just not the first thing that comes to my mind. But yeah, no, it's it's happening. Like, I have to see this all through the prism of the only thing that I see life through, which is which is race. So I have to see, you know, this would have been different if the, the you know, people were uh, African or like, there's all this bizarro slotting it into your own political kind of And then there's project. this, the, it's bizarre. The, there's this uh, kind of, opportunistic uh republican uh, politician thing republicans are not going to do what i was just immediately describing that some uh, commentators were doing but they're like well this is because uh biden's not tough like trump was tough 
yeah. uh, the you know this 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 kind of uh, schoolyard projection. You know, Americans aren't projecting toughness, and that's why it's not happening. And, then, and again, this happens in every single conflict uh, abroad. You just like flip through a paper or a back issue of Reason from eight to sixteen years ago. There's always uh, statements like this, usually from Republicans. Oh, you know, we're we're been do, been too busy doing apology tours, and that's why oh, yeah, X person did. Yeah did why um it's ridiculous and and i think it's missing a, a a real possibility that's in front of us one that can please a lot of people it couldn't it, it could con- conceivably please a lot of our very strong anti-interventionist friends in the right and left it can please foreign policy realists it can even please in certain ways some neocons i do believe although they'll might object to some of it um which is that we might be on the verge of tinkering with the post-Cold War order, right? There was never a settlement. There was never the incredible moment from like 1945 to 49 of institution building after World War II when you had the United Nations, the World Bank, uh, uh, the Marshall Plan, uh, the Truman Doctrine. You had all these things rushing at once, this creation of institutions, both to settle the war um, once and for all, and there's a lot of settling to do, but also to contain communism, which was already on the march in a murderous way, um, Soviet communism. A ma- a- amazing amount of institution. That's not what happened at the end of the Cold War. And that's not what NATO expansion was, because it wasn't that wasn't really part of the first five years of after the Cold War. It was kind of uh, a lot of mixed signals zigging and zagging. The Gulf War became the sort of confusing thing, and then it became no-fly zones. American public opinion was... At first, it looked like, oh, we want to be the world super cop. And then, like, very seriously, no, it is not. It's been very, very consistent, mostly, for the last 30 years, with the exception of the Gulf War and the beginning of the Iraq War. Um, American public opinion has been not very excited about going to war in places and turned against Afghanistan very violently so. But there hasn't been the actual settlement of the Cold War. And I think right now, like, literally now, when Biden is meeting with NATO uh, people, when Emmanuel Macron is saying, um, as the French have been saying for 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, that, hey, it's about time for the European Union to have its own actual real security club that can provide security guarantees to people. Um, and one of us, at least, has nuclear arms, France. Um, uh, that's a way out of this shit because that's not NATO expanding. That's the European Union taking responsibility for its own affairs, which is something Donald Trump wanted and maybe Joe Biden will get. Because kind of like withdrawing from Afghanistan, right? Like Joe Biden was the one who actually did, even though uh, Trump was the one talking about it. Um, that is an opportunity. If you start to have people who, after the end of the Cold War, were like, yeah, you know, sure, we could take responsibility for our own affairs, but we've gotten super comfortable <laughs> doing it this way. And also, those seem like a lot of hard decisions, and we're not ready for Germany to spend money on a military. Well, right now, how many people are left that are honestly going to be scared about Germany, you know, doubling its military budget in a week? There's not many people left. So there, I think, might lie a solution because Zelensky can say, yeah, I'm not going to join NATO. And he's like, hey, Macron, what? can we talk about the other the, the thing that you're going to do two months from now? Cool. And like, make sure that the language is such that he can do that. Um, it, that's by exciting. The way, it is a very bizarre thing that people are advocating that Ukraine as a way out of this conflict that they did not start um, in which has killed untold thousands of people in its own country, displaced three to 4 million of them destroyed their cities. I mean, literally destroyed the cities that it's going to take 
you know, billions. The displacement is 10 billion. Is it ten, yeah. 10 million, internal displays too. Ten, like tens of billions, if not a trillion dollars, to do all this stuff and rebuild the infrastructure for a, company, a country and saying that to get to that point, you have to agree to not join a defensive club that will help you defend yourself. Or you should remain neutral. We've just invaded you and we're currently murdering your citizens, destroying your country. And as a way out of this, just promise not to defend yourself in the, in the future. It is a very- In, in violation <laughs> of, of a fucking security guarantee that they signed yes, in 1994. Yeah. yeah, it's a bizarre Fuck. thing. But, you know, I mean, we've talked about this a lot, but anyway. Um, yeah, final point on this, just to put a marker in it, because it's fascinating to me, is that Moldova last week, the prime minister, Maya Handu, um, made what to me sounded like a completely remarkable- ballsy probably crazy statement uh which was this shitty poor country been corrupt been a, a russian client state for most of its existence um has a breakaway republic uh russian republic uh, transnistria and has had that since 1990 or 91 um said i want all russian soldiers off of transnistria uh like asap mm -hmm. like they're on the black sea they're right there like if if the and if the Russian Navy got in actual war and there was shots fired, people killed in I think ninety one in, in Transnistria, a, a brutal, terrible yeah. war. Yeah, um, and like my God, this poor small country that's lost a third of its population in thirty years because it sucks um, is now headed up by someone who's saying, "If Russians get the fuck out of here, I'm not scared of you now." That's just crazy to me. It's really interesting. I'm sad that our dictatorship which terrorized the world from 1917 to 1989, we'll say 91, uh, disappeared. And I'm sad that we lost, um, you know, countries and, and land that we stole and killed people in doing. Um, so because I'm sad about that and I'm humiliated, uh, I'm going to kill a pregnant woman at a maternity hospital who loses her baby and then loses her life. They all saw the picture of her being carried out, which of course uh, shithead fucking idiots on Twitter said, oh, it's a false flag and and this is a, a crisis actor. And like, what is wrong? Just asking questions. Honestly, Just what is wrong questions. with you people? Like, what is wrong with you people? It's been confirmed by multiple people, journalists on the ground who are not fucking tweeting from, from Budapest um, that these are real people who lost their lives. And for you to make these arguments that like, you know, they were just wounded because, you know, they're sad that the Soviet Union, one of, you know, the, the actual evil empire, um, uh, disintegrated. So therefore, they have every right uh, to to bomb and murder civilians. is 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 a really interesting way of looking at the world, and it's just not one that I share. So I, I guess I'm on the different side of that issue. So, so shift gear violently, violently. Uh, shifting gears violently over to the Supreme Court uh, confirmation hearings. Third day, I believe it is wrapped up now. Although these things tend to go very late. Um, she's almost certainly going to be confirmed mm. <laughs> along party lines. Um, there'll be some Republicans will join in. There'll be a couple, yeah. I suspect. Um, but one wonders if uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, who was grilling her quite hard on Gitmo, as well as yeah. just having a very emotional day, it seemed, and kind of storming out of the hearing yeah. <laughs> after not so much asking a question, but making a making a. a very pointed statement about the various unfair treatments that are directed at, at Republican nominees, but never at Democrat nominees. Um, I'm not sure how true that is. Um, but uh, he suggests he grilled her over her defense of Gitmo detainees, um, which, you know, oh my God, how could you imagine 
uh, a lawyer deciding to represent uh, to be a defense attorney for Gitmo detainees. It's incriminating. Um, but beyond that, she was asked to define what a woman is. Um, Senator Ted Cruz uh, mm-hmm. had a, had a number of very pointed exchanges with her. The sort of thing that that gets you an appearance on you know Sean Hannity's show and makes it makes it so that you're being uh, quote tweeted and profiled or at least highlighted in various other contexts. Um, grilled her over pedophilia. The fact that she's soft on pedophiles, um, according to him, at one point bringing out one of those large cardboard piece set pieces um, that yeah. you see at these hearings, um, even getting up to dramatically write in red marker on this on this in order to show how many times and to what exceptional degrees she was willing to do something other than the the number of years that were suggested or requested by prosecutors. Shit, I didn't um, know she was a libertarian. A judge. <laughs> <laughs> um, effectively suggesting that she was she was perhaps it, it, while it, it's the most bizarre thing because there's this like veneer of respectability and decency where you say and you seem like a good person. Yeah, but yeah, You yeah. let all these pedophiles off yeah, the hook yeah. with a slap on the wrist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't you understand? Do. <laughs> don't you understand? They they have pictures of kids. They're raping kids. Um, but he also had uh, a, a dive into the uh, the critical race theory mm. um, bargain bin and uh, put up a quote of the the former defense attorney and now nominee for uh, the Supreme Court of the United States, where she talks about sentencing um, and the role of race in sentencing and uses the words critical race theory. And then they have a, an extended conversation about Georgetown Day School and the curriculum at Georgetown Day School, yeah. which is a very expensive private school for kids, so K through 12 education, um, where she happens to be a trustee. Um, and there are some, some rather dodgy books that mm-hmm. are apparently involved in the curriculum there include a number uh, of books by one Ibram X Kendi including anti-racist baby um and ma'am do you think babies are racist set pieces <laughs> um, like, and, and she of course gave the, the appropriate answer to that um <laughs> that that babies babies are not in fact racist and she doesn't think they should be told that they're racist um now granted i mean watching all of this i don't i didn't see i mean she answered the questions seemingly pretty ably um yeah. I, I thought she was perhaps a little less than honest when talking about the critical race theory stuff um i i don't so much find it hard to believe that she isn't aware of mm. what is in the curriculum, but I do find it very hard to believe that she isn't aware of the the various kind of culture war weirdness that's taking place in the country more broadly, um, and that there hasn't been any sort of issues whatsoever related to that sort of stuff at the school. It just it seems odd to me if she's not aware of that. I would be shocked. Um, but you know, she gave a lot of the the answers that you would hope one would give, and at a minimum, um, in many instances, was just kind of giving these kind of pat. Answers the, the the sort that you give when you want to behave as though yeah. well, you don't really have an opinion on this. You'll just be fair and reasonable. Sure. Um, but you have the theater. Um, you have the grandstanding, and she'll be confirmed. Is there any news here? Is there anything worth um, taking into consideration uh, coming out of these hearings? Anything that you gentlemen noticed? Not really uh, of of import. No, I mean there is there is the interesting bit. I mean because it's all. I mean, you're basically watching somebody and judging how well they've been trained for this hearing. You're not, you know, sort of looking mm-hmm. at their legal philosophy in any ways, because there's a moment where 
she sounded like a member of the Federalist Society talking about mm -hmm. originalism and, you know, mm -hmm. the, this is like the triumph of the Scalia vision of the court. And, you know, that was kind of red meat for conservatives. They kind of, yeah. they're like, oh, okay, that's, think that's that good. A, a, an affirmative tweet from Justin Amash. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah. you know, she says that. Then she's, you know, kind of bullshitting on, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a biologist uh, about the, <laughs> I don't know what a woman is kind of thing. Can you define a woman? Yeah, but, see, this is the thing about this. I mean, I sent you guys a story. What was it in uh, Florida? Ron DeSantis, uh, oh, like, yeah. you know, uh, sponsored legislation to make uh, everybody who came in second place to the uh, trans swimmer at UPenn like uh, a gold medal winner in uh, DeSantis, ga DeSantis games or something, whatever the fuck it was. But it is like this kind of grandstanding. And we were just talking about this in relation to like shoehorning all this stuff into Ukraine. It's like this stuff is there not because these are pressing legal issues. That these are just pressing culture war issues. And we have talked about these stu this stuff in this podcast. We have decried the stupidity of half of this stuff, this Ibram X. Kendi stuff. We don't, we, I don't think we're not like Jesse single and talk a lot about the trans issues, but you can imagine that, that we're probably more sympathetic to Jesse than, than to the other <laughs> side. And yet, yet, yet every time this comes up, I just exhale and I'm like, these culture war issues are cheapened every time these shitheads mention it, right? I mean, you can, mm. there's like legitimate concerns here that just become a punchline now. Like, you know, these phrases like cancel culture, that is a thing that exists, right? I mean, it depends on how you define it, but there are people who have perfectly ordinary opinions that are in line with most of the opinions of, of, of their fellow countrymen who can no longer work or run out of professions or publicly hounded or, you know, canceled, right? But even mentioning that now, because of the way that it's been used and kind of perverted by these people who are just desperate for votes, and they're making, like, I don't think this is the main issue that is concerning Floridians. But yet every time DeSantis opens his mouth, he's running <laughs> against Trump in a way, and he's trying to get the things. I mean, why do we know anything about the governor of Florida. Well, COVID was a big part of it, <laughs> but it's also the fact that like, as you were saying, the Ted Cruz, like checking his mentions after he does that little performative thing, nobody gains from it. I have no better knowledge of, of her judicial philosophy before these questions. And after these questions, I know that she doesn't want to answer it because she knows it's a trap. Not because she has, like, I mean, I don't know what her opinion on that is. She could be, you know, super trans activist or somebody who's quietly like, yeah, I think this has kind of gone a little too far. But you're never going to know from these hearings because she is trained beforehand, rightfully so, not to walk into traps. And we're supposed mm -hmm. to glean something from this, like she's qualified or not qualified. Sorry. I mean, I'm just not going to fall for it. Like, I, I just think it's, I think it's a stupid line of questioning. I don't think it is, is relevant to anything that, you know, is, is coming before the court right now, or, you know, mm -hmm. it, even if it like trans cases is like the definition of a woman, like, is this the most important thing that we should be asking of somebody who's getting a permanent seat on the Supreme court? I mean, this is the lifetime appointment. I don't, maybe it is, maybe somebody can send me an email and convince me that it is, but the, <laughs> the purpose of the question I know was not to, to elucidate it was to prosecute and get a clip on, on, you know, the RNC fact check that had it up like two seconds later, like the little Twitter, mm -hmm. thing, you know? 
There was I, uh, uh, one senator, I forget who, maybe it's Lindsey Graham, uh, asked her about her religion. Yeah. Like, what's what's hmm. your what's your faith? What's the church that you go to? Um, can we not? I think it's a. Yeah. I don't. Know. How about how about not mm-hmm. asking that question? That'd be all right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just weird. It's unseemly. Why are we doing that? I don't. I don't get it. Um, I mean, if your answer the, is a yeah. nun, that's fine. I mean, it should be fine. I mean, <laughs> that's fine. Just like the just the notion of uh, yeah, that like. And it's also it, it it comes from friendlies and it comes from hostile too. It's like, can you describe? And I did I I watched oh, zero yeah. of this. Yeah. Can yeah. you describe how like what it's like? Um. Uh. You know. Uh. The importance of you sitting here. Um, yeah. And what that means woman. to your. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like this. I or you know what she's trying out to be the, in the Supreme Court. It's not like a. Uh, you know, can you can you please make your own biography sound as rosy as possible to assemble here, please? <laughs> That's my job as a senator is to make that. Like, come on, um, if you uh, if we had uh, established a drinking game um, uh, uh, ahead of time um, among fifth column listeners, so, so there's some iron iron bucketed stomachs out there. Um, and also some fucking lightweights yeah, too. Right. I can testify. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had a, a drinking game, uh, and <laughs> where you had to take that. a shot of, of, uh, what's the terrible thing they drink in Chicago? Malort. <laughs> you had to drink a shot of Malort. Um, every time the, the phrase child porn was asked yeah. in a question, My God. there, yeah. there would just be more, more deaths than from fentanyl from the last, uh, I know. Years, like. I thought like the fucking Allen Ginsberg was going up for the court. Like, what are you <laughs> talking about? Nambla so much for, this is like, this is like, you know, uh, like a completely grasp. It's like QAnon level. Like a, there's, you know, there's real, um, you know, child uh, sex rings that I think Hillary Clinton's running. But what the thing does, I have to say that the final, the only thing worth talking about in this hearing is that it exposes the thing that we all know and that it's never, we should never stop pointing out that the people who govern this country are complete fucking morons. It is astonishing. And it's like, well, I guess, you know, who wants those jobs? You know, narcissistic halfwits that, you know, love being on TV. Like, Oh, okay. You know, and there's a question about like, you know, cameras in the court and it's like, (laughs) <laughs> she had a good, did you see good ben sass's ben sass had a great uh a comment about that did, yes. and i'm looking at it right did, now yeah. um and and like a a, a, a frowning bearded uh Ted Cruz Ted Cruz sitting yeah. right next to him uh and ben sass is like uh i think we should recognize the jackassery we often see around here is partly because <laughs> of people mugging for short-term camera opportunities yes yes like, yes. Good yep. yes that's right yep the other one other uh, th- uh, th- thing that was uh, of interest in this process ca- came unsurprisingly from our friend and two time, maybe three time, two time, a uh, former guest, Steve Kornacki, uh, who on his Twitter feed just posted a graph mm-hmm. of confirmation votes by parties for Supreme Court justice nominees since 1967. Mm. 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 That's an interesting thing to do, because what is the kind of received folk wisdom i love kornak he's like he's the guy that's like the mic drop of twitter he's like i'm just gonna post a graph just graph and walks away no commentary there it is do with it what you will (laughs) reposting this from before i think isn't the the received folk wisdom that republican nominees are generally gang rapists i think that is (laughs) Uh, yes and that and that you know republicans are in lockstep against the president their their job is to defeat the president um it's horrible uh if you look back um, in that period of time, 
How many times did more than 20 Republicans vote no to confirm a candidate, vote no on a Supreme Court nominee? You need 20 Republicans to vote no. How many times has that happened in the last 50 years? Guesses? I do not know, but I guess twice. Twice, twice yeah. is the answer. Yeah, I, it happened I know because I was looking at the same thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Steve, Steve Kagan's Twitter is public, Matt. <laughs> and Sonia Sotomayor. Uh, Republicans usually vote. I mean, the last three, uh, the, the last three Trump nominees, uh, Amy Coney Barrett got zero Democrats. Brett Kavanaugh got one. Mm-hmm. Neil Gorsuch, who's, you know, the best of the three and pretty interesting guy, three mm. yeses from Democrats. Well, I mean, it's because Republicans no- nominate monsters. Mm. Like that is. Yeah, Gorsuch is not a monster, people. Mm. Sam Alito, four. Republicans have never voted uh, uh, that. The Republicans have only voted in single digits, yes, twice. That was for uh, Kagan, five, and Sotomayor, nine. Um, it's interesting. It's the It's more party line among Democrats than Republicans just when uh, looked at uh, by votes. And you wouldn't, I don't think, would have that impression by listening to the way that these hearings are talked about uh, on the television. How many, how many do you think uh, she'll get? I'm counting them off. And I don't know about Murkowski. She's got a, a re-election. Uh, I'm, I, yeah, I don't know. Four or five? What do you think as uh, of Republicans voting, voting this time around? Voting yes. Yeah. I think she'll get in double digits. No. You think no so? No chance. Yep. Really? Huh. All right. We'll, we'll bet. bet. Double digits? Mm, yep. You crazy. I'd say. <laughs> Ooh, that man. Well, that, just I mean, crazy. You, you didn't see what she of, said about critical race theory. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't see what she said about critical race yeah. theory. Matt Welch, I did see the Republicans uh, uh, like uh, count with a picture of her. Yes. With KJT or KBJ, cross out, uh, cross yeah. it out, and replace with CRT. CRT. Yeah, fucking CRT. fist pump that up, yeah. Chris Rupo. <laughs> you did it. I think, I think there was someone on MSNBC who referred to the line of questioning about critical race theory as uh, a hate crime. Really? <laughs> who said that? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me who said that. Like some Joy some Reed. some dimwit. No, no, some dimwit guest um, on the on the show. So I don't I don't know. We need hate. Cr- I will say about if the, we had hate crimes legislation. Would that mean uh, that you could arrest you could arrest Ted Cruz for asking dumb uh-huh. questions? Because it's actually a hate crime. <laughs> God, I love cable news. It's amazing. The DeSantis uh, proclamation is is like so ridiculous and over the top. I, I'm had to try to figure out like what is what exactly does he imagine is his role Mm -hmm. in determining who the winner of an ncaa competition is yeah Um, and and it's that this girl happens to be a florida native (laughs) she was swimming oh is she a florida native for for virginia yeah yeah yeah. well she's also a traitor to florida because she's swimming (laughs) for a different state so number one it's you're like the jefferson davis of swimming um, yes, this, I, I will say I do have a fix for all of this stuff. I think that that we should just get rid of the 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 whole male like female male sports thing. Yeah, and just do it all by together. weight and muscle mass. No, just That's all it. together. No, not even no, no. I, I want it to be like boxing. Like I think that it's fair to kind of match you up with someone of a similar size and build to you. Mm-hmm. You got your featherweight and your welterweight and your super heavyweight. Like that is what I want to see in all of the sports. Mm-hmm. And my suspicion is that even in the lower weight classes, you'll probably end up in a situation where there are probably less women overall. But 
that that probably just fixes the problem. I think gender is is probably the wrong place to draw the I line mean, it, for most of these sports. Anyways, w- w- that is that is my strong perspective. Will anyone join me in a campaign because gender is a social construct? Construct is not real. To mm. go to every <laughs> golf course in this country and get rid of the women's tee. The women's tee is sexist. <laughs> it's cheating because they're just, everyone's the same and they're closer. And I just don't think it's fair. And I think that because gender is not real, why are we segregating women by having a separate tee? You tell me, you been answer be- been that question for me and we <laughs> and if, if satisfactorily answer that question for me. And I don't know, I will, we'll go play around and we'll all hit from the women's tees. You know, I think also that, uh, that the WNBA should just be, uh, just, just, we actually have the same teams, but just put them in the NBA. Same teams. I don't even know the name of a single, and I think it's like the New York Liberty. Is that a team? Liberty. And then uh-huh. LA Sparks. LA Sparks? Is that like the band so. Sparks is from it LA? Managed to be slightly yeah. better than the Lakers right now. Exactly. Um, put them in the same league. <laughs> put off. them in the league. Exactly. <laughs> I'm telling you though, if you do, the, if you do my muscle mass thing, like it, it would work out just fine. You could have them. This is, and this is like sports be... phrenology. You're going to be like, just like measuring people's skulls and be like, now nah, you can play. <laughs> no, it's no, not fine. It's just a way in. Yeah, it's the way it's in. a way in. Yeah. And, and I guess we need some, some things if we're going to look at muscle mass. We, we need. So some, you want muscle mass, but you can't be some fat person who's just going to go in and fight. I mean, like these people are athletes, right? Well, I mean, have you seen like 1970s baseball players? Well, I mean, I don't, I, I don't think muscle mass is not the really word. a sport. Yeah, I think it's yeah. I think it's more like a hobby. It's or a something. leisure activity for alcoholics and yeah. cocaine addicts. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've been to some of those games, Matt Welch. You people aren't even watching the sport. You people, there. The you, are you talking about the whites? <laughs> In the, <laughs> yes. in the kind of sections that I sit in, uh, people actually watch. Really? Oh, is that right? What sections no, are those? I think you guys watch it even less. I don't know. Fucking bleach. Oh, you're going to. <laughs> dude, you're like. You're literally doing like saber metrics on the back of like matchbooks and you get the shitty seats. You can't even get good seats. <laughs> in Yankee Stadium, if you're in the first and second row in left field, those, those are good seats. Yeah. And if you're in the so first and second row. Weren't you at Yankee Stadium that one time I was there and there was like a box situation and we would occasionally get to go sit down by the field and some. That was uh, at Mets. Mets. Yeah. That's the annual yeah. libertarian, oh, uh, See, libertarian baseball yeah. game with our okay. rich Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's different. Okay. If you go to Yankee Stadium, you go into the box. It's just like criminals from Wall Street. It's just like Leon Black <laughs> and like people who are being indicted and like they get picked up in helicopters. It's just like that was the thing. My dad, my my dad, rest his soul, um, who was a baseball fanatic, um, was so angry. Like that was his class rage. Was like when I think I can't remember where it was. It might have been when they built the new Yankee Stadium, and he's like, they fucking serve sushi there, and he was like outraged by it. And I was like, well, there's some, yeah. you know. Ichiro's playing. Maybe that's why. And he's like, nope, it's for these rich assholes to go in and ruin the game. And that was it. Like never, like he just, he started hating baseball because of all that stuff. So it was no longer for the people with mustaches who got drunk and threw butterfly knives at Dave Winfield, which is what Yankee stadium used to be like in the seventies, which actually happened by the way. You remember that, Matt? Yeah. Uh, the batteries at uh, Reggie Jackson. Yeah. Batteries. Like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. If, yeah. Did Reggie ever like go full Dick Allen and like wear a helmet in right <laughs> yeah, field? I think he did a, a time or two. That's like Ron Galello, the the uh, the paparazzi guy who used to wear a helmet. Do you remember him? He's the original paparazzi oh, yeah. guy who used to take the pictures of like Jackie O, and he would wear a helmet because he'd get beaten up by security, he'd be running around with the football There's helmet a on. Great 
there's a great documentary about oh, him is there? from uh, like uh, 10 or 15 oh. years ago. Yeah, it's terrific. Um, oh, and one Ukraine thing is that um, uh, the Servant of the People show, it's also the name of Zelensky's political party, is apparently now on Netflix. Uh, Not just on Netflix, it's on the like homepage when you go oh. to Netflix. They're hmm. like, they're doing it. Going for I've it. I've heard really good things about it. Like, b- I mean, before um, all this happened, I mean, now I think that people's opinions might be might be colored by by his, you know, green shirt and his guns and him doing these um, pieces to camera in the middle of uh, Kiev every night, which is, he did one in English today, so. He did, yeah, I saw that. He, was, he wants to uh, gin up an international Ukraine day for tomorrow, so everybody get ready to uh, go talk about the cranes. I mean, um, I mean to your point, uh, Camille, from earlier, like, I get the um, discomfort that certain people feels that one feels when everybody seems to be saying the same thing about a yeah. thing. Um, uh, and that discomfort might be best experienced internally um, because it's just a thing. It's not that big of a, it, but the, there's this whole, like the current thing I'm in favor of the current thing. Yeah, Elon, oh, I'm e- against e- the current Elon thing. Tweeted, yeah. Look at my meme face. Um, there's nothing interesting or like um, value adding in this. It is as it is exactly as posing as anything that they're trying to critique. Like just it's it's okay just to experience the world and to sometimes hmm. realize that people um, have a massively majoritarian rooting interest or reaction to things because that's just kind of how humans thing are. Is weird, maybe. Though, isn't mm, it? I mean, the corporate thing, know. like you know. I don't understand why, you know, the, the, uh, you know, today sponge or something is taking a foreign policy position. It just seems bizarre yeah. to me that everybody feels, I, personally, it's fine. I mean, if you want to go on Instagram and, you know, join the masses and, you know, I think it's slightly better too, because I actually have seen up close all this stuff coming into, um, um, relief places from all over the world. And it was amazing. I wasn't like, they were letting people off buses from Ukraine, and there was just this, this is in Warsaw, this big tent, and it was full of baby formula and diapers and food and big, huge things. I have pictures of this big, huge things of clothes, and people were picking through them, and like literally, like hundreds of people picking through clothes because they just didn't bring very much with them. And like that stuff's great. Like, I'm, I'm glad people do that. Um, the signaling thing is like the BLM one was weird because no one really mm-hmm. did anything there wasn't nobody needed clothes or baby formula in that it was just like this kind of weird mass psychosis where no one really mm-hmm. understood the issue much like the U- ukraine thing but there was no outlet to like give money to you know right. uh, get get insulin to people who didn't was, have any you know that kind of thing it was a it was genocide more of a against black men so i mean anything that you can do especially as a white person mm-hmm. is likely to save their lives mm-hmm. because whites whiteness is power i mean, and it's, I mean it's it's the most think, wonderful thing I keep on, I get, to possibly be I keep on saying that i skip lines of places i'm like i'm sorry whiteness is power i need to get my sandwich before you <laughs> i can't help this i'm it's so sorry like a magnet. i'm so i'm so sorry I mean, you know, to the front you, know you can't go next <laughs> obviously i've got to get in front of you yes. black person it's, and it's then, you so know they say they're just like i get it I hope it changes yeah. someday, but I get it. And then yeah. I get the sandwich first. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. You get your, you get your sandwich first and you're so tired. I'm so t- I'm, I'm so, so tired. tired. I'm so tired of the power. Do anything about it. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to you, agree with Moynihan on this, uh, Matt. I, I think there is something weird about the kind of mass movements and the, the weird kind of corporate, um, falling in line 
with what is it falling in line or is it like there's a there is a a large popular response to something we don't have mass events anymore no one's going to the oscars have they happened i mean they're about to happen i don't even know no one's going to watch them it's mm-hmm. we don't have besides the super bowl things that everybody's responding to um and this is one of the things that they're responding to if you're right. the, running the fucking pizza hut twitter feed you're going to get a fucking stupid Ukrainian flag out there because you think you're going to sell an extra pie or two. I think uh-huh. it's dumb. I'm not interested in it, but I don't understand. But I think it's uh, worse than dumb. I don't have dumb. the reflex there, there to could be, be worried about it. But there can be. There are consequences to Pizza Hut putting a fucking blue yes, and yellow? There can be consequences to a culture that is so pliable that can have it a moment's notice like any new any new thing arrive on the scene and people robotically thoughtlessly graft onto it and make it something that is kind of central who are you, who are you to, to the way that they Pizza think Hut? about the way, the way that they How think do you know about that's themselves. An authentic response. And, and in some instances, why is only your response authentic? Camille Foster. My my, res, my response is actually thoughtful and well articulated. <laughs> I can explain <laughs> it. I can explain it. I think in a, in a number of instances when all people have our slogans. And equipped with those slogans, they're willing to endorse all manner of craziness and to support all manner of batshit ideas, as we've seen in the not so recent past, not so uh, distant past. Like that is a problem, and it's something worth being concerned about. And and to the extent there are aspects of the kind of viva look Ukraine <laughs> um, <laughs> fever <laughs> that has that has like taken hold in America to the extent there are aspects of it that are very similar to the kind of black lives matter fervor, the signs that will never go away in this house. We believe the, the genuinely religious and overtones attached to some of that stuff that that is disconcerting to me as is the, the kind of the reactionary response to it. Um, the, the, the uh, who is it? Peter. Um, I, I shared uh, Peter's piece from um, from Barry's yeah. blog, uh, the Common Sense blog, it's the danger of our idiocy. Um, I think the fact is that we've we've already seen how the culture war, the same culture war dynamics, those same tendencies are contaminating the the way that people are thinking about and responding to the 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 Russian assault on Ukraine. I won't even refer to it as a war in Ukraine, the Russian assault on Ukraine. Um, and I think it's, I think it's pernicious. Um, and it's obviously not limited to these issues. So at a minimum, I think it's, it's worth, it's worth ridiculing that tendency. Um, but I also think it's worth understanding it and being wary of it. You know, it's funny. So, to, to know, one man. thing that you I'm said, not, Pizza Hut, yeah. like uh, Pizza Hut's not calling for no fly zone. No, but not so. But not, not so long ago, a lot of these, please, a lot of these, a lot of these organizations were suggesting that there should be like no police, <laughs> or that, or that the appropriate way to look at people and to respond to them is with respect to their race. <laughs> like, I mean, it, that's that is is that it is possible to paramount. judge this on a case by case level we, and like what can. is people yes. saying. We can. Um, yes, absolutely. And like if you're going to put, I, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm irritated because when I go on Twitter, I can't differentiate people anymore because everyone's a fucking like Ukrainian flag. So like, I, you know, you, I can't, everyone's got the same design. You mean now. a Nazi and flag, so it, Matt. Cause it, it is the same a- thing. Battalion the funniest flag. thing is that, is that um, to Camille's point is like the, the, the reaction to this is also equally as um, idiotic. And I saw two things in one day, which I was like, this is 
the problem with people going back into history, taking little snippets and then trying to make some modern political point. It was like, you know, people are all saying, Slava Ukraina, like, you know, glory to Ukraine. And I see like, yeah, this that, was actually uh, Viva uh, Ukraine. Was, it's was a Nazi slogan uh, back in uh, 1924 <laughs> with Stepan Bandera. And it's like, well, you know, everyone's using it now and like Jews, everyone, like everyone. And then uh, four minutes later, it's like, you know, tipping is actually slavery <laughs> and i was like huh? tipping is so slavery. i can't say glory to ukraine oh because of the nazis God. and i can't tip because of slavery like what the fuck is happening here yeah. it's like you guys gotta get out of Have that you stuff. ever stop to consider why you tip because <laughs> i'm nice <laughs> asshole if i, I no. i'm gonna just racist i'm gonna actually get out of tipping now and be like you know what if i gave you 20 percent, i would be perpetuating slavery by and yeah. just run out yeah i'm an anti-racist i'm an anti-racist, I'm an anti-racist. i can't tip i you. wonder what that okay how does you. that you should tip me you know all those fake stories of like people like writing in no tip because you're gay you know they, they always turn out to be fake <laughs> it turns out they just hate slavery which is good because I, I don't because slavery is bad and tipping is even oh, worse. Oh God! <laughs> I, I, we're, I'm presuming that that people saw that Nicole Hannah yeah, tweeted, tweeted tweeted the mm, thing. About USA Today slavery, had a fact check. Actually, real. <laughs> it proved it was like mm, I don't think that's really real, but you know, whatever. These are the important oh, issues that of, of of life is that if slavery and tipping are basically the same thing, but well, uh, before. Before we get out of here, though, no. Matt, I, I know that you wanted to talk about um, uh, a crush of yours, uh, Madeline, Al- Madeline Albright. Who, Not at all a uh, crush, but uh, no. an interesting person. You said the she thing died. about her being sexy. <laughs> that's a, that's, a, <laughs> no, that's Helen, Helen Thomas. Thomas. Sexy. That's yeah. different. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. uh, no, uh, she died. It's, uh, I was. I happened to be preparing dinner at uh, at the time that the cable uh, networks were talking about it, and I shouldn't be surprised at this. But like, what do they lead with as like, you know, what's the headline of Madeleine Albright dying? First woman. You know, groundbreaking pioneer, first woman, this yeah. and that, and this CNN and MSNBC, um, just hitting it. As and I need to interject quickly before you go on uh, a, a commemorative uh, rant, is that I was listening to NPR tonight, first time in a long time, and it is as bad as it's ever been. But they were doing the Madeleine Albright thing and uh, on All Things Considered. And Ari Shapiro was talking to uh, John Podesta, and he was saying, you know, she had all of these foreign ministers, uh, heads of state that were like fans of hers and friends of hers, and they stuck together. And and Ari Shapiro chimes in, he's like, and I bet they were all men. <laughs> I like, uh, no. I swear to God. And I was like, oh, that was a cutting insight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, a nice job. And he was like, yeah, they were, oh, they were all men. All the, and she called I them mean, her boys or whatever. It's like, oh, Lord. It's actually kind of a microcosm of, of some of the stuff that we were talking about before of like the, the stupid, really parochial American domestic politics way that we talk about stuff of importance of foreign policy. Yeah. Like, what is the most important thing about Madeleine Albright as a figure in American life over the last 30 years? Well, she's the most influential secretary of state. That, that seems to me that that's kind of interesting, right? Like, uh, who who would you argue is more influential in shaping things? She was at the helm at the moment, which she helped create, of when the Democratic Party and Bill Clinton and and portions of the Republican Party as well uh, went from being kind of 
like cautious, don't really know what direction our our uh, our post Cold War is going to look like. You know, is America going to be the the super comp or not? To being fuck it, let's expand NATO. Let's send NATO into Kosovo. Let's do all these things. Um, that switch took place in really just a matter of four or five years. She was in the middle of all of that. She helped convince that, lock that in. She had, as she pointed out over and over again, Munich is my mindset, mm. right? So she's a Czech, from Czechoslovakia, born 37. The Munich Agreement was in 38. And the horrible thing about the Munich Agreement, of course, was that the Czechs who were sold down the river were not there. It was Neville Chamberlain and her, talking And her dad was a Czech diplomat, too. A very yes, important Czech diplomat. And I wrote a book about uh, I would the, like to recommend the, like didn't you write a book about kind of the history of the Czech people or something like that? I think so. And he was also a really important person in they I think they settled in the Denver area and he was a university professor yeah, and became Colorado, one yeah. of the more uh important um kind of thinkers about uh US foreign policy in an academic setting for uh for a generation of people who came up. Um, and then Albright uh, then replicated that after she went out of office. So at Wellesley, where she, I think, had did undergrad, and at Georgetown, she set up these big centers. I remember going to the uh, 2008 Democratic Convention in Denver, and her group was holding all of the biggest kind of off-campus, uh, you know, off-stage uh, 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 foreign policy confabs. And that was right around the time when uh, Putin had invaded Georgia. So it was like that. It was all about similar topics and everyone was going to kiss her ring. She it was, it was her group always producing the new talent and, and collecting them to talk about foreign policy in a much more aggressive and muscular way. She, you know, she famously said to Colin Powell, right? I forget if it was public or in private, you know, what's the use of all this fancy military if you're not going to do anything with it, right? Um, uh, and Powell was horrified and people who were uh, less interventionist than Albright, which is most Americans, um, were also horrified th by this. But it reflected a sentiment in Washington, um, which was basically like, hey, we when we get in there, we can do something. No one else is going to do it. And this is specific to Yugoslavia. We stopped Bosnia by getting in there. We stopped Kosovo by getting in there. And there's a sense that America is the sort of last great hope for enforcing, um, you know, the backstop for enforcing human rights, the whole uh, responsibility to protect doctrine that uh, lefties like to talk about, the Samantha Power thing. That's all Madeleine Albright ease. And to reduce her uh, contributions and, you know, it, many people would say kind of uh, bad redirections of American foreign policy because this degraded the um, conditions for which we required to go into a place. Like by mm. the time Libya rolls around, it's like we think there might be a massacre in this one city over here. I think the city was actually was Benghazi, Benghazi that they were worried about at the time. Um, so that's why we have to preemptively go in there and yeah, we'll topple a dictator too. It's pretty aggressive sovereignty busting shit, um, that blew up the country and created millions of refugees. Um, part of that is the Albrightian, um, and there's also obviously a neoconservative, uh, you know, uh, counter, uh, uh, part to that, uh, but kind of degradation or like lowering of the bar to like, let's intervene in places. And like, oh yeah, she was a woman. That's what that's what really mattered here. No, dude. Like, she's an important person. She died today. Uh, we should mark it and and learn from that shit. Um, uh, but the one book that I would like to recommend uh, that uh, talks about uh, Corbell, her dad, 
who was part of the Czech government in exile during the uh, during World <laughs> yeah, War II in London, Ed, right? Edvard Benesch's government, right? Yeah, um, and he was important. I think he was the, she was the spokesman, or he had some uh, 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 key thing. But the, her book called Prague Winter. She's mm-hmm. written several books um, of middling uh, qualities, depending on what what you're interested in. But this one called Prague Winter is kind of a half memoir of her childhood. He was also a key government, a diplomatic official in Yugoslavia in 1937. And Yugoslavia has always been uh, a weird uh, country. I think she was born even or was around Yugoslavia right at the time, but. Um, he and that government were were intimately involved in the Heydrich assassination, yes. in which is one of the biggest, craziest moments in like occupied uh, World War II, Nazi occupied World War II, where Czechs uh, carried out this very daring and very foolhardy and awesome and, 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 assassination. And successful, um, well, successful in the sense that they killed Heydrich. Um, by the way, this is an interesting thing of like you know when you do something dramatic there's going to be this counteraction that you don't expect and that you're going to ultimately be blamed for because they killed Heydrich and they were all drowned. Actually, I believe that they were in the sort of catacombs they escaped to and the, the Nazis flooded, but right after they liquidated an entire town called Ledicia, they went to the town of Ledicia. Ledicia, Ledicia, And there's, there's actually a really uh, weird Fritz Lang movie, totally forgotten about Fritz Lang movie, the great Fritz Lang who did uh, Metropolis, um, German exile director, did an anti-Nazi film about the liquidation of Ledicia and, and about the killing of Heydrich called Hangmen Also Die, which is a, I think, 43 or something, like a wartime propaganda movie. It's worth, it's worth a look to, to, to see how that was handled. It's, I mean, I haven't seen it in years, so I can't actually give a, like an honest assessment of it. But uh, yeah, that was, that was an amazing, daring, amazing operation. There's a couple of films about it that I haven't seen, but, uh, but I think it's been... I, I think I've recommended once before on this podcast the in- insane book by a French dude uh, called HHH. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, um, that came out about five, six years ago. It's on my shelf out there somewhere. Uh, check it out. It's, it's, it's like irritating. It's kind of postmodern. It's half a novel, half of this, half of that. Uh, um, I, I can't remember this off, offhand, but it's, I think it's, um, Hitler heist Heydrich's hen. Like Hitler's name is Heydrich's brain or something like that. I think that was the, what the HHH is. So Laurent yeah, Binet, yeah, yeah. uh, it's really there. good. Actually. Uh, I really liked it. Yeah. Himmler's uh, Hirn Heist yeah, Himmler's Hirn Heist Heidrich. Yeah, it's Himmler's um, brain but it's, is but called it's a, Heidrich, yeah. It's a, it's a terrific book. Anyways, uh, her book, Prague Winter, um, gets into the kind of agonizing negotiations and thoughts about that from the Czech government and exile's point of view. And she uh, unearthed new documents and stuff that she had access to just because of her family. Super interesting, like added a lot to the story and the book that, well, didn't really uh, create that much of a ripple. But if you're interested and in And her last thing, book is not worth uh, reading. Uh, this is called what, Fascism, A Warning. Um, it's oh, not no. as bad as, uh, some of the other ones in the same kind of, uh, genre. I mean, she actually doesn't call, specifically does not call Trump a fascist in, in the book, but, um, but yeah, it's not, it's not, I don't think it's very useful, but, um, um, but anyway, yeah. Um, uh, RIP and to Michael's- and, uh, you know, whether you agreed with her or not, um, on foreign policy issues. And to Michael's point about like the perspective of people who, you know, born and raised in Estonia or Poland, she left, she fled Czechoslovakia, her family did, uh, fled Nazis and, and fled, fled commies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like it colored, it colored the shit out of her, uh, concept of foreign policy 
and of uh, of American, therefore American foreign policy, not only because of her, but a lot of other things were involved with that. Um, but yeah, listening to Bill Clinton on talk to Wolf Blitzer tonight, it was a real blasto from El Pasto. Uh, listen to those guys talk. Um, it was interesting because Clinton was just channeling pure Albright stuff about Vladimir Putin. Like it, yeah. it felt like it felt like the liberal hawks were writing yeah. again in yeah. a way that we ha- haven't seen in a long time. Uh, but yeah, she's she's part of that. It really like her gender couldn't have been like less relevant to all of those things. Like I don't wouldn't say well, and, that and the gendered aspect of her foreign policy was a final original. thing to put a kind of tie it all together in a way is that that is why you're seeing so much dumb commentary about the war in Ukraine. It is a reaction by a lot of people who see the liberal hawks um, and, and and liberal interventionism. Uh, kind of coming back in a way and not doing it directly, yeah. but through a proxy and, uh, and want to, I mean, kind of getting in that stance uh, that happened around 2004 and five with Iraq and treating it similarly, which is, which is, um, which is a big mistake, I would say. Um, and I don't think this is, is, is analogous, but, uh, but I think that that's what's motivating a lot of it. So anyway, uh, from, from Ukraine to Albright. That's why you should read, Read Compact Magazine. The magazine. Yeah, it's a various. It's for, for it's for, for compact for. minds. <laughs> I, I met somebody compact last night minds. who said something about Compact Magazine. They they said, uh, "Oh, I just read the thing. It was it was a, like a defense of patriarchy." And I was like, "Oh, that sounds about right." <laughs> it's like I don't... they uh, this is so for listeners who are, who are blinking at their eyes. This is the new joint from our friend Sorab Amari, and I don't say that uh, uh, sarcastically. I consider him. I'm, I'm friendly towards him. Um, I'm not, and, I don't, I don't know the guy. Well, it's because he's, 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 he doesn't like black people. That's what he, that's what the first <laughs> issue of compact is about. Well, so for you, sue me compact magazine. That was a joke. <laughs> he's not a joke. He's a man of color. Uh, but like, <laughs> oh, Zizek God. is on the contributing editor's Wild. list. Slavoj Zizek and like a Catholic magazine. Um, and yeah. who else? It was like a, a crazy list. Yeah, I don't have it exactly in front of me, but yeah, it's a uh, it's the horseshoe magazine of uh, left and right uh, populism that's very anti-interventionist. That's probably the most interesting thing about it, um, and it's uh, you know trying to uh, have these kind of intellectual debates and reshuffling the normal political spectrum. To which I say, awesome! Uh, I love new publications. Zizek, who, by the way, general. has a picture of Stalin over his bed. Um, it's true. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Whatever it is, is a is a quite a defender of Lenin. Um, but you know, Zizek is 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 uh, somebody who's uh, funny and interesting and uh, pretty full of shit too. I don't think he believes half the things he says. Do you have a Zizek impersonation? I, 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 you know, I can't. You can't do it. Here. I, I can't do it because you, you have to be uh, rubbing your nose all the time. It's so like you're phlegmatic, you know, literally like yeah. you're like Robin Williams in like 1981, and you've just done all the blow, and you're just kind of rubbing your face, <laughs> and, and it's like that sort of thing, but with a Slovenian accent. So let me work on that. I'll do the next episode entirely as uh, Slavoj Zizek uh, reading pieces from Compact Magazine. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, man. <laughs> So uh, you guys, uh, you, because we're we are recording and this is like happening as we're what? recording, but Uh-oh. you guys have to see some of this Cory Booker performance. What is tonight. Cory Booker doing? Um, nice. He's I giving a, an energetic, impassioned, he's so full of shit. Uh, it's not. It's not. A, it's not a question, but speech uh, that brought the uh, the nominee to tears. 
Yeah. Oh, she's totally unqualified. Honestly, I've just (laughs) revoke my like semi endorsement of her as someone who's qualified. Cory Booker, if you fall for that shit, he's the biggest. Here's the quote. Here's the quote. Don't worry, my sister. No, God has got you. Wow. (laughs) Sister and God separated by three syllables. Unbelievable. Do you? Do you think, do you think if he'd had the opportunity that he would have looked at Janice Rogers Brown mm-hmm. and said, you know, don't worry, sister, God has got you. I know the, the long road that you've had to take to get here today. And I, mean, I might not do, get there do, with you. Do I have to, do I have to pretend, do I have to pretend to care about any of it's, this? Cause I'm, I'm not inclined um, to. I mean, jeez. By the way, that's the shittiness of cable news is that that clip will probably be shown on MSNBC and it'll cut back to a studio of people like, that was really powerful. Everyone on the panel will be, will know that he is an unbelievable phony and a bad actor. It's like the thing about Zelensky is he's a good actor and he's a real actor. These people have to be better at acting because Cory Booker's performances in every one of these confirmation hearings is like, fist pounding on the table it's so constructed and so transparently phony that i just if she had even a fake tear i would be i would be very disappointed i'm gonna have to see that footage i i don't I, did she really cry camille is that what it said she oh it yeah, was yeah, just, yeah. Uh, no there's a there's a, a photo circulating it wasn't a, a heave, tear rolling <laughs> down but a, a tear like a yeah, really yeah, like yeah, a yeah. crying oh indian she got it out of the way <laughs> Yeah. Looking at gar- looking <laughs> at garbage, <laughs> otherwise known as Cory Booker. By Indian, you mean Elizabeth you Warren? Yeah. Oh god! I looked over, <laughs> and she was throwing trash on the ground. And I said, "Elizabeth, <laughs> sister, <laughs> don't do this to your own people." I got you. It's just everyone. Just everyone. It's just the Whatever. worst. It's the worst. Yeah, it, it's funny because some some of the sentiments. I mean, are are great. America has is a. Uh, an extraordinary place we have come we've overcome a great deal mm. but you people are just so but camille if you haven't overcome everything <laughs> you're garbage you are the garbage <laughs> on the ground in the crying indian commercial because you haven't overcome we're everything. finally doing it now yeah finally doing it now the the right black woman is being nominated <laughs> to the supreme court by the guy who helped to thwart the potential <laughs> nomination of another one not so long ago but whatever you know fine I may not get there I with you. I might not get there with you, Corey. <laughs> you saved a dog in Newark. <laughs> Do you remember when he did? Didn't he like save a dog or something that was like tied oh to a post? Or he saved a person? He's always doing these things where he's like the million dollar man and just like showing up. I think like, they stage them. Like dating a woman? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think he mentioned T-Bone during, during his soliloquy. T-Bone! Today. <laughs> you know, I was talking to T Bone today about the confirmation here, and I wasn't sure what I wanted yeah. to say. But T Bone had some words of advice for me. His oh, his accent is actually it's Eddie Murphy during in in Whiteface. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's actually how that's how <laughs> yes, Cory Booker does. talks. Well, I tell you what, uh, sister, this is a grueling <laughs> process. I'm very proud of you, and God is there oh, with you. Man. I tell you that right now. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous, ridiculous. Uh, He's a ridiculous. I saw him at a party one time, and he came in with Ariana Huffington. Yeah. Oh, did he? He wasn't with Rosario. No, isn't is he dating her? Is that they? He, he had, had been, been for a while. That was the claim when he was running for president. Yes, <laughs> is that right? <laughs> yes. Wow. The claim they were dating, Matt. Were they? I think that. Yeah. Was, I think that's fake news. <laughs> I think that's Russian <laughs> disinformation. 
Make him dead Rosario. Big successful Cory Bookers. <laughs> Mega Bookers. I like him a lot. Um, but no, look, the People Magazine, I've just, I just Googled it. Rosario Dawson and Senator Cory Booker have split after more than two mm. years as a couple. Mm. Matt he Welsh might not get there with her. Their love. Yeah, that's, that was, when was that? What, <laughs> what year? When was Ariana Huffington this was year. once married to this a guy year. too. Yeah. Yeah. No, we all know what happened to him. It was Andrew Sullivan. <laughs> <laughs> Just tide pools and balls. Oh, that man. was in, in that. And when he lost, that was at the time the most. Like he raised more money than anyone in human history, right? Spent. spent. That's what I meant. Spent. Uh, yeah. It, yeah, yeah. I guess he was like a oil yeah. tycoon or something. And, some and, and he lost. Yeah, source of it. And then at the end of it, he's like, mm. "Fuck it, I'm divorcing her," and I'm. I'm gay. And then she was like, fuck it. I'm no longer a conservative. Do you remember she was a conservative? And she used to go on, she used to go on, um, um, firing line. That's where I first saw her in, in, in like the nineties. And she was like, like a Newt Gingrich, uh, hanger on. Yeah. She threw parties for him and she was on the cover of time magazine in 1994. I think it was as either the country's uh, America's or the world's most dangerous woman. I am I very dangerous the, uh, people. Title. You know, by the way, it shows you that if you have the right friends and if you have enough money, you can get away with this. This is not true of everybody. She is a repeat plagiarist too. She wrote a couple of books. Um, one was on Picasso. I think they were both on artists and they were yeah. both accused pretty credibly of, uh, of plagiarism from previous biographies of the same artist. But, uh, which means probably that whoever she hired to ghostwrite yeah. there. I don't if you've uh speaking of of that, uh, I should just point the last out book was about sleeping that which is what I did when I tried to read it. it I was just like this is yeah. Was she also selling a mattress yeah, I think at so. that time? Like a really expensive yeah. mattress. Like unbelievably <laughs> what expensive. What a stupid country we live in. <laughs> I can't believe it's like I am I am the Greek shipping heiress, conservative, gay husband, liberal sleep mattress person. It's like what the fuck happened in ten years? Good lord. We are we just came uh by the anniversary of the death of one of her best friends, uh Andrew Breitbart. Oh, that's right. They were very good friends. Andrew oh. Breitbart, who helped found mm, yes. Huffington Post died when like 10 years ago more than that now we're on 2022 it's and been, i think hired it's initially hired greg gutfeld the fox news uh star yes. uh got his start at the uh, at huffpo which is the original yeah. I- uh, idea was a was a kind of bill marish type thing where it would be celebrities um a lot of celebrities talking about their political opinions you remember that like initially it was like you know uh yeah. the woman from maude talking about like trade or something. I was like, why am I reading this rerun from what's and happening? One of the many geniuses <laughs> on the war in of, Ukraine. Of Breitbart <laughs> is that, that, sounds Breitbart, interesting, that shit is ridiculous. Breitbart became Ariana's arm candy uh, back when she was still a conservative, but she remained loyal to him and he was able to sell her on some of the visions of Huffington post Especially that thing, like, yeah, we'll get all of your 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 new friends in Brentwood to to just write, and there's like be no filter between them and the public. Yeah. Mm. And she's like, oh yeah, that sounds That's great. Great. And, like, and not understanding that like Breitbart was a conservative who was hoping that they would all look super foolish. That was his yeah. motivation. But uh, uh, yeah, he succeeded very, at uh, that, I think. You know what's really <laughs> annoying is that like the the HuffPo Live that. 
uh, thing, which uh, uh, gave us Josh Zepps. So that was a that was a happy mm-hmm. um, result of that weird experiment. Those, um, and I think quite to the annoyance of the people who used to host there, none of those archives exist. They were like immediately taken yeah. offline. And I wanted to find one because the last thing I ever did on HuffPo Live, because I used to do it periodically, um, I walked in, it was about Cuba, and some like like dingbat AP was like, you know, I go in like the makeup chair. <laughs> she says to me, I'll never forget this. I did not know this before. She's like, you're on with some guy who's like, I don't know, some old guy. I can't remember his name. And she's like, Tom Hayden? And I was like, Tom Hayden? I'm on with Tom Hayden? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, you know, he used to uh, be married to Jane Fonda. And she was like, who? And I was like, forget it. It doesn't <laughs> matter. She was a member of the North Vietnamese Army. You don't Ooh. know anything about her. Um, and yeah. uh, and I did the last uh, hit ever was uh, uh, talking about uh, Cuba with Tom Hayden. And I believe I yelled at him at some point and said that he was like a sycophant. I, I remember Do you that, really? Actually. That's amazing. It's hilarious. <laughs> and I was like, you dumb. And I walked off. And then they were like, shut the whole thing down. Take the archives offline. We are finished. That was so good. Oh my god! I, I have yeah. no recollection if it was good at all, but I it's it doesn't yeah. exist anymore. I mean, I don't think it it um, I don't think any of them. The time Moynihan destroyed. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think the last time that and invented I went a mattress on, company. I wasn't all in one day. I wasn't on with him, but he was in the same green room with Dick. Cavett. Really. And I just, huh. yeah, I just fucking kiss his really? ring. I'm like, you're Dick Cavett. I yeah, see, there. like, you you're kiss awesome. his ring, but then you go back and watch the shit. He's kind of an overrated interviewer. I'm sorry, people love him. He's, oh, he's yeah. so overrated. No, I think because they liked, uh, in a similar way, some people like you, Moynihan, although you're a better interviewer, uh, they liked his reaction Yeah, they were, they were good. Yeah, they liked yeah, his, because yeah. they had, so this, this uh, I'm amused kind of thing when he would have someone doing a freaky thing next to him and then like he was the amused square when like john lennon or george well there was uh, the famous one it's kind of like tucker face it's the the tucker face is amazing Mm, no (laughs) because if i if i like half the time it's like he looks like what the fuck are you talking about then he agrees with you it's really confusing but uh no there's a dick cavity you should watch uh with um god what was the movie they did it was like fuck uh fathers or brothers or whatever it was like john cassavetes and um uh what's his name um uh, who played Columbo? What the fuck is wrong with me? Uh, Peter Falk. Falk. He's on too. And they all come out wasted. And it's Dick Havitz talked about it uh, since, like as the worst show he ever did. And it is, they're like literally falling on the floor and j- it is just the biggest <laughs> disaster. And it's kind of painful uh, to sounds watch. Great. But there's another one where I can't uh, remember who was on with Gene Simmons and er- from Kiss, the early Kiss days. And it was like, I don't know, like touch shore or some, some person, some like old Jewish lady. And he's like sticking his tongue out and he's got his makeup on. And she says something to the effect of like, she can tell that he's Jewish. He's like, look at that nose. And he's got the, and it's just totally humiliating to him because his name is actually Chaim Witz. He was born in Israel and she totally just takes this character out of him immediately by saying like, I can tell, (laughs) I can tell you're just a little Jewish boy. (laughs) And it's very, very funny. But, but yeah, it was. It's great. It was, it's a very funny clip, but there's a lot of good clips, but he was, what what was the show you were on with him or in the green room with? It was either, uh, Joel Zips or, uh, our, um, another former guest of ours, Alona Minkowski was a, uh, was a, a host over there. And I want to, I want to, 
point people to her. She had a, a Twitter thread, I think, last night. So we're recording this on Wednesday. It was Tuesday. Um, because uh, Alona was for a long time at uh, host uh, on mm-hmm. at our and, Russia and it was today, the only reason like that we would go on was because that we were all good friends with Alona and uh, I like yeah. Alona and there's a bunch of hotties yeah. in the show. Alo- I just she was a, she's um, a lovely person. She's a lovely person, and she had a great little Twitter thread of just like, "Hey guys, you haven't heard from me for a while, and I just want to say." I'm really outraged by what the Russia is doing to Ukraine, and it's awful for the following reasons. I see, you know, my mom, her mom is still in. Her in mother the Duma. is in the Duma um, in and, the United Russia Party. She's a member of Putin's party. Um, and uh, and she's like, it's you know, I I've kind of fallen out with my mother over this. I mean, it's kind of a heartbreaking post, mm. but it's it's mm. and it's not you know, it's not gonna. Uh, I don't think arouse uh, Camille's uh, Pizza Hut ire. It, it's just very. Like, well, no, I mean, it's know. because it's well informed and thoughtful. Yeah. Exactly. I, my my issue my issue is with the very nice, decent people who put a, a, a flag in their yard or in their window and and really just have no fucking idea what that means. Did you, but Camille, did, did you like back. my? I, I just I just want you to do the spot <laughs> checks. Yeah. How much do you know what yeah. this flag you, means? I don't I don't need to it's, do it's the spot checks. It's not nuanced enough. It's actually it's actually rather obvious many 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 times. I mean, it's, it's usually the same people. They, they sometimes have a, 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 a bunch of different, people? a bunch of different flags. Did you and not, signs did you not like my, home. my, tell you everything you need to know about Did you not like are. my idea of the Slava Ukraina pie where the crust is stuffed with blue cheese and yellow cheddar to make the Ukrainian flag <laughs> every time you take a bite? And that just shows your solidarity. Mm. And I bet it's fucking delicious. Yeah. So I just want you to know the yeah. Zelensky pie is coming to. Mm. Blue cheese. Yeah, well, yeah, but you guys you need Delicious. the flag. It's the sky and the wheat. That's the flag. Uh, I'm just, I'm just thinking about my. my it doesn't matter. It's. Uh, do you not? Power. Do you do you support <laughs> Ukrainians or not? You traitor. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Eat the, the fucking pizza. That matters here, or you're a communist. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we go? All right. Well, yeah, we go. should wrap this up. Let's get out of here. Um, we'll be back. Not too long. I'm gonna. I mean, am I even gonna sleep tonight? I don't know what's gonna happen. You should sleep. Uh, that's probably a, a, a shit filled diaper for yeah. me to change, which I will do with yes. love. Love with your little Hasidic um, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Un- uncircumcised, by the really? way. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it was. It was actually a, a matter of some contention in in uh, in the household. Should I, should I Were you pro or anti? It's fine. Okay. Not even a little bit. Andrew Sullivan <laughs> talked about it all the time. Yeah, he, right? no, he seriously. There was a while. I, I remember back in the day, the Daily Dish was all about cutting, cutting dicks. I don't know. It was weird. He had a big thing about it. He's British. He did, he did. I remember this. Uh, <laughs> and if that's not true, then I'm sorry, have, Andrew. That was just a, a crazy dream that it. I had about you. <laughs> yeah. I have a big thing about you, it. Are you pro or anti? I, I, I said okay. anti. And Chase, I don't, I don't want to do it, bro. I mean, she, it's just, you know, it's a thing that you do. I mean, dad is cut. You know, maybe we should just cut yeah. the boy. And no, not yeah. good enough. I just want to say this is the best ending to an episode infants. we've ever done, where you said, yeah. "Dad is let's cut. Talk, let's <laughs> do it to the boy." Outro. Add music <laughs> right there. Just put the music in. <laughs> no, not oh, good enough. Bye. Bye. We we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse.